0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our savior king more clearly and through his gospel learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the gospel of Matthew and let's learn about our savior king and his kingdom. your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew, a series I've entitled, The Savior King and His Kingdom. The book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, describes Jesus um, and his role as king. And it was uh, written primarily to Jews. It was written to a Jewish audience, Jewish Christian audience, and it was meant to show them <clears throat> how Jesus is the king of the Jews. And, and as the king of the Jews, that, that he has a right to rule, as it applies not just to the Jews, it applies to believers, that means he's our king as well. And so if he is king, um, he has a kingdom, and if he has a kingdom, then his... his you know, subjects, that would be us, need to know how to live in his kingdom, right? Does that make sense? We should know how to live in a right way in the kingdom of our Savior King, Jesus. We're in that section of the gospel that's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It began with the Beatitudes, those attitudes that form the basis through which we do, you know, life in that kingdom, and then we shifted in to the second half of chapter 5 through the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we get a series of principles, just little paragraphs that describe a principle of the kingdom, and so we've been, been going through those. We've gone through 10 so far. We're going to go through two more this morning, and, and then chapter 7's got another half a dozen or so, and uh, we'll go through those as fast as the Lord lets me, so... Um you know me, I could take a lot longer, right? <laughs> and there are a couple of us saying, "I wish you would go longer. Come to the Tuesday morning Bible study you want to you want to go a long time we're in, We're in Isaiah at least for a couple more weeks, and we're going to take a short break, but we're going we're taking our time, so it's good stuff. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get into this uh this next part of these kingdom principles. Heavenly Father, we to come. And Lord, as we're going to, one of the things we're going to talk about today, Lord, is, you know, the, the, the things of this world. And that, Lord, we're going to make the distinction about uh, the things that we should care about and the things that we should care for. And Lord, there is a distinction to be made there, and it's an important one. And Lord, it's often in those things that we care about that the most, uh, the most, difficulty comes into our lives because sometimes the things or the people that we care about the most are ones that cause us the most the most pain the most discomfort the most uh, difficult circumstances of life come in that those areas and while there's not a there's not a cure or there's not a remedy for that with the exception of the peace that comes through the power of the holy spirit ministering through the truth of the word of god based on faith in jesus christ and so we come before you now, and I know there are some here this morning, right now, as I've already had conversations with them that, that are, are dealing with cares, uh, dealing with things that are, that are hard. And, uh, and they're not hard because of a lack of faith, they're hard because they are hard. And so I pray, Lord, for them, a great, a great wave of peace as they just sit at your feet, just for a brief moment, and experience your presence as we get into your word and discover what you would say to us about things and about the stuff that we care about. We praise you, Lord. We lift up this day to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we live in a materialistic world. There are, you know that there are things in the world, right? We all have things. Anybody got a garage full of things? I do. I got a garage full of things. I know some people have a couple of garages full of things. <laughs> Storage containers and, you know, whatever. We have things that are valuable to us, and they're valuable to us for lots of reasons. It could be material value. They, they are just valuable things. Or they're valuable to us because there's, there's emotion attached to them. There's history attached to them. Lots of different things that those could be. In this next principle we're going to look at, principle number 11, Jesus is going to talk to us about the things we treasure. So let's get into that next one. Kingdom principle number 11, store up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus begins with a warning about collecting things in this world. There's a story about an old miser who was getting near the end of his life. And he calls in his minister, his doctor, and his lawyer. Calls for a meeting. And he says to them, I know you've heard. You can't take it with you. But I am going to prove that idiom wrong. And so he hands to each of them an envelope with $100,000 in it. And he says, as they're lowering my coffin into the ground, you throw this envelope into the, into the hole. I'm taking it with me, he said. He said. Okay, so the funeral happens. In goes the coffin. In go the envelopes. Dirt gets thrown on it. And as they're walking away, the minister says, "Hey, hey, hey! I got a confession I got to make. We needed to make some upgrades around the church, so I kept twenty thousand dollars. I only threw in eighty thousand dollars." Doctor said, "Okay, well, if we're going to be honest, huh, I I I had I had some equipment I needed to buy for the clinic, so I I kept fifty thousand dollars." And threw in $50,000, and the attorney looks at him both, shaking his head. I am ashamed of you both. I threw in a personal check for the whole amount. <laughs> if you didn't get it, talk to somebody after the service. You can't take it with you. There's nothing in this life that you, nothing in the material world that you can carry with you into the next and so what Jesus is saying to us is that we've we got to be careful about putting too much value on things we can't take to heaven. How long are you going to be in heaven? Forever. Forever. How long is that? I don't know. It's a really long time. You know, it's a time, it's a type of time that we have no concept of. Because we are so linear in time. So, so our amount of time on this earth, even if you live a long time on this earth, is not very long when you compare it to eternity. Be careful about these things. These things we put value on. He says that, that you got to watch out for, for, for moth and, and rust. You know, your moths and rust, you know, that they, they, these things, they're not permanent. Most of the things that we own are not permanent. Well, you might say, well, wait, 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 wait. Diamonds are forever. <laughs> right? Right? Well, then you have to go back to the, go to the next thing where thieves can break in and steal. So you know, nothing, nothing is permanent. We've got to be so careful about the things that we value, the things that we, we put all of our, our, our attention to, and he's going to talk about that quite a bit. Our stuff can be, can be, I mean, I don't know, we all probably can tell stories of stuff that we thought were pretty important in our lives, and all of a sudden it's broken, or, or you know, it breaks down, or you know, you know, some water damage, or fire, or something happens, and, and it's done, it's gone. Jesus says that 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 something that that often probably generates more questions than answers in verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Well, the question is then: what is a treasure in heaven? And and how do I store them there? Right? Is that not is that not a logical question? If there is such a thing as a treasure in heaven, which there is because Jesus said so, and so if there is, what is it? And how do I do it? How do I get treasure stored up in heaven? I want you to know. It says, lay up for yourselves. It's a, it's something I do, we do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's something you do that results in treasures being stored. For you in heaven. That means there are things on this earth that we can do that have a result in heaven, that have a have a a profit us or or earn something in heaven. No, not salvation. You can't earn salvation, it's a free gift but there's obviously something that is rewarded to us. Jesus said a little bit later in Matthew, Matthew 16, 17, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Now, that's a, that's a good news and a bad news situation. If you're one of his people, it's good news. One of his, if you're not one of his people, it's not good news. It's bad news. You know, part of growing in faith is discovering what those things are, what those treasure, not not what those treasures are, but what the things are that we do that produce treasures in heaven. How do we produce treasures in heaven? What do we have to do? How do we do that? Well, the kingdom principles are a good starting point. Kingdom principle number seven, you all remember it, right? No, okay, I'll just tell you. Love everyone. Love everyone. Who's everyone? everyone. Yeah, when, when we, that's not natural, right? Can we admit right now, it's not natural to love everyone. There are probably people in this room that are looking around saying, I don't, I don't know if I can love everyone. There's people real close to me that I, don't have, I have a hard time loving. I'm not looking at any one side of the room. Not going to do it. <laughs> But as we, as we learn how to do it, because it's something we have to learn how to do, because it's not natural to us, and so as the Holy Spirit is moving in us, working in us, he's shaping us and changing us and molding us and, 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 and changing the way we think and the way we feel and the way we act, as he's doing that, I learn how to love people, and as I love them in faith... For the purpose of glorifying God and blessing them, not myself, then that does something. That results in something in heaven. It results in a treasure in heaven. The key is doing it for the right reason, going back to the Beatitudes. There's certain attitudes that we ought to have regarding the reason why we do anything in this life. If we're doing it for the right reason, then God approves of it. If we're doing it for the wrong reason, it's gonna burn up. It's not gonna be of any value to us once we get there. It's gotta glorify God, it's gotta bless others, and faith must play a role in it. If those three characteristics are present in anything that we do, then there's a good chance it's earning a treasure in heaven. I'll tell you that, you know, there are times, I've had times where there are people in my life, they are just stinking hard to love. You know, as an act of faith, I can do it. I don't want to because they're just miserable people. But God says to me, you're to love them. And so I do, I do, I love them the best I know how. And sometimes it's hard. And, and sometimes just knowing, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to do it for the right reason. But knowing at the end that there's a reward too, okay, that, that's a little added incentive to help me go and to love that unlovable person. Now here's the problem with this. What is a treasure in heaven? What is it? What does it look like? How do you describe it? What are you going to do with it? I don't know. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us what a treasure in heaven is. There's no, there's not even a hint of what a treasure in heaven is. But who cares? It's a treasure in heaven. Heaven's gonna be pretty amazing, right? Can can anybody say yes, amen. amen? Treasure is gonna be, heaven's gonna be an amazing place. It's going to be, it is so amazing that, that there, there are no words to, to describe what it's going to be like, and yet there's something that I am going to interpret and understand as a treasure in heaven. In the perfection and the glory of heaven, I'm, there's something I'm going to experience that I'm going to say, ooh, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, I can use my imagination and think of some things, but I know one thing for absolutely certain, my imagination doesn't even come close. Not even close. Besides, my mad imagination is wrapped in way too much of Rick for it to be right and correct. And then Jesus explains to us, goes on to say, why is this a big deal? Why, why should we even bother with this? Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The reason why Jesus doesn't want us storing up treasures on earth And ultimately, he doesn't want us fixated on treasures in heaven either. It's good just to know they're there, but not to be so focused on them. is because they will distract us from the good works that produce treasures in heaven. Ultimately, that's what God's looking for. God's looking for us to do those good things, the good works that he created us for before the foundation of time. He created us for good works, and he wants us to focus on those. And if we're focused on treasures, hey, hey, listen, the more things you have, the more time you have to spend with your things, right? I mean, isn't that the truth? The more things you add to your life, the more things you have to do to keep your things from, you know, being stolen or moths eating them or rust getting to them. You've got to do all this stuff to maintain your things. The more stuff you have, the harder that is. There is a spiritual discipline called simplicity, you know, it's one of the it's one of the many spiritual disciplines, and it's one of the things that, that some of the ancients would do is they would get as simple in life as they possibly could. They're, that is an absolutely foreign concept to an American. But you know, but the idea is that, you know to go as simple as you possibly can, to to minimize your life so much that you have absolute freedom to do whatever God wills you to do. I think that's one of the one of my main attitudes regarding that. You know, debt is a, is a prison. The more debt you have, the less you can do for God. The less debt you have, the more free you are to do whatever, whatever God would lead you to do. This is not a sermon on debt. I'm not gonna get into it. If you, especially if you're buying treasures with debt, that's really, that really gets into a whole other whole nother sphere of it. Listen, we cannot take earthly treasures to heaven. And so God doesn't want us to focus on those things, just doesn't want us to focus on it. We, we gotta be very careful because if something is a treasure, that means some piece of your heart is attached to it. And, and, and your, your affections and your thoughts and your whatever, your feelings, are attached to this treasure. And if it is, that means you're not focused on the treasures that really matter, the treasures in heaven, the things that will bring you treasures in heaven. Listen, as Christ followers, we are sojourners in this world. We're visitors to this world. We're, we are travelers. We're, we should be strangers in this world. The illustration that comes to mind is, you know, before Christ, I was a traveling salesman. I traveled all over the West Coast. I, I don't, I can't tell you how many nights I've spent in cheap motels, you know. And, and I went to one of those hotels. That was not my home, you know, and. I didn't name any of the cockroaches. I didn't, uh, you know. I didn't. I didn't, you know. I didn't, you know. But you know, the the thing is, when I walked into that place, I knew none of that was mine. None of it was mine. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't a- attach myself. Oh, those curtains are amazing. You know, and if I, you know, the, you know, the bedspread, oh, I love this bedspread. And come back in the next day, they've changed it. Oh, I'm so heartbroken, they changed my, no, I, I, I didn't care about any of those things. I would take care of it. I'd be respectful of those things, but they weren't mine. And ultimately, I had no attachment to them whatsoever. And I think that's, the, that's what God, that's what Jesus is calling us to, to have, we can have things, there's nothing wrong with having things, we just got to be very careful about putting emotion, attaching feelings to those things. There has to be something that if God were to take it away, okay, God took it away. Now, I didn't want him to take it away. There are things I've, you, know, you know, I, I had a, an expedition, a Ford expedition for a while. I loved that car. God took it away. Okay. Now I'm driving something different. That's a whole other story. <laughs> it's not my expedition. Our heart needs to be in heaven. Amen. Our heart needs to be attached to the things of heaven, the things of God. That's where our emotions are. Now, now, again, this is where we have to be careful about the things that we care about and the things we care for. That the things we care about, there are things that God has given to us, put in our lives, that he wants us to care about. Our relationships, our relationships. He wants us to care about those relationships. And there are many of them, many different varied styles and and iterations of that where he wants us to care about those things. But for the most part, most of the things in our life, he wants us to care for them. That means to take care of them, to, to do what is right in relation to those, but without emotion, Without feelings attached to them, you know. If, you know, guys might you know get, get into cars. You know, I'm looking at Miles. I'm thinking of cars. You know, n- not that you have this problem, Miles. I'm not. I'm not condemning you here. But you know, you know, you know, guys can you know. And I used to be a car guy. I loved cars, and I you know, I, I, you know, it, it was all about you know having the best car you possibly can, whatever the fastest, whatever the biggest sound system whatever 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 the kids are doing now. And anyways, the, you know, the different things that we do and 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 but you get so attached to those things that if something happened to it, you would be heartbroken, you'd be crushed, you'd be you you and you would put so much attention into doing that thing that you wouldn't be able to do things that God would call you to do. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us he wants us to put first things per, first. And all these other things, they're just things. And, and, and you're not carrying any of them with you. You can't take any of them with you. And so we ought to give them the right amount of care. Care for, but be careful about caring about things. Be very careful. If I care about this thing too much, moths and rust and thieves might come in and take it away. and We need to watch out for those things. We ought to be Working, keeping our heart where it belongs. Our heart belongs in heaven. Our heart should be focused on those things. And while we are on this earth, we ought to be busy about furnishing our eternal home with the treasures that we earn through good works. That's where all of our attention should be. Now, again, it doesn't mean we can't have good things here. Have nice things. You know, if God blesses you, have all the nice things you want. Just make sure, make sure you're not putting too much of your care about into those things because those things, eventually, they're all gonna be gone. You know, I, you know, if you ever need proof of that, go visit somebody in, a, in an old folks home. What do they have? Whatever's in their room, pretty much. And that's all they can handle. We gotta be careful. We can get caught up in that stuff. Again, not saying you can't have stuff. Enjoy. Enjoy what God blesses you with. Just be careful. Then, then Jesus addresses the way that we view these things. In verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, there are the light, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness how we look at things determines ultimately the quality of our life if if our eye is focused on for example, treasures, you know, things in this life that will bless us and that we, 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 we are trying to accumulate whatever it is that we're trying to accumulate and, and that is the focus of our lives, then that is gonna determine our, our relationships with God, our relationship to the things of heaven and that's where all of our focus is gonna be. But if our eye is focused on the things of God, then through that, the light of God was gonna shine into all of the things that we're touching, all of the things that we're doing. what is your eye focused on? You You know, we can have things, we can have stuff, but is there a purpose for that stuff? Is that purpose of that stuff to bless me? Or is that purpose of my stuff to bring glory to God and blessings to other Others. Check your sight, check that, that spiritual eyesight. What are you looking at? Why are you looking at it? And being very careful because you can let the wrong things into your eyes and, and, you know, that without getting into the really wrong things. You know, whatever you're letting in through your eyes is affecting you some way. And if what's coming into you is darkness, then what do you think that's doing to your heart? You know, that darkness is, is touching you. That t- darkness is coming in and filling you. We ought to be filling ourselves with light. The word of God, the, you know, the ministry of the people of God, fellowship, communion, service, all of these different things that we do as the body, all of those things help to bring light in. Worship is a great place to allow light in. Be careful, be careful. Verse 24, very familiar verse, I'm guessing. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's been talking about treasures, you know, you know lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on the earth. And uh, the mammon was the, you know, the, the god of money, ultimately. And, what, and, and he's using that as an example, is that we cannot have two gods two masters if we if we try to have two we're, we're going to lean one way or the other and because we are wrapped in flesh chances are i mean we're going to lean toward mammon we're going to lean toward the things of this world it's because that is the way we're Predisposed to do, and we have to make those deliberate, conscious choices. I know I will serve God. I will serve Him and Him alone. I will. I will use money. I will use it for whatever purpose God has put it into my life. I'll use it to glorify Him. But I got to be very careful that I'm not serving money. I'm not serving stuff. I'm not serving treasures. Because if you if you accumulate enough treasures, you will consume your life maintaining those treasures, protecting those treasures, and you know, showing them off to you know, whatever. Whatever you're doing, whatever those things do for you, that's where all of your time, you'll, you will start serving that more and more. And God says, no, you, you have to make a choice. Will I serve God? Will I serve mammon? And it's a conscious decision. If you, if you, if you allow just life to lead you wherever you go, I can promise you where it's going to lead you. We're all the same. None of us are different. We're all the same. If we're not deliberately choosing God, we're gonna choose something else. And it's gonna be something that's not God. And ultimately, we'll be worshiping and serving something that we would never have imagined in a million years that we would have done, but we can. Our attitude toward the things of this world is that, that everything in this world is something God created. It's all God's, including us. And that if we have stuff, we have it as a caretaker of that stuff. We're called to care for it. We're called to take care of it. We're called to do whatever is right with it. But we don't, we don't, we gotta be very careful about the idea of ownership and the idea of this is mine. I earned it. I, 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 I. No, no, it's all God's. And and if it's in my life, he put it in my life so that I could care for it. For whatever season that I have it, for whatever purpose he gave it to me for, and once i once that's done, then I move on to the next thing, and that's okay. Nothing in the material world belongs to us. Not even us. Not even you belong to yourself. We all belong to God. Amen? Okay. Kingdom principle number twelve. This will be our favorite one of the day. Do not worry. Anybody groaning inside right now? Oh, don't talk about that, Pastor. Do not talk about that. Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Worry, the word worry appears six times in verses 25 to 34. It's clear from this, that that worry does not belong in the heart of a believer and yet it happens pretty commonly right would you will you admit that worry occasionally creeps into your heart it happens nobody's done okay thank you larry thank you at least giving me a, a little brief little nod there so you know at least one person is is here with me <laughs> worry is a very natural response to circumstances of life very natural and that's the problem with it it's a natural response. God doesn't call us to respond naturally. How does he call us to respond? Spiritually. He calls us to respond in the spirit, in the spirit of God, with, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us toward different responses than are natural. The natural responses are most of the time are what? Wrong. They're almost always wrong, because the natural man is opposed to the things of God. We have to be very careful. Worry and fear are very similar in that they, they eat away at the foundations of our faith. When we allow worry in, it just eats away at our faith. And the only solution to worry and fear is faith. You know, they, they will erode faith, but the answer to them is faith. Believing God, believing what God's word says, believing what his spirit is telling us, and doing those things that we're called to do. That's the solution to worry and fear. To worry, the idea of worrying is to feel or believe that God is not able or not going to do something for you. That, that that's what worry is, that, that I, I feel or I believe that God is not going to do something about it or he's not able to do anything about it. That I am going to have to do something on my own. And the reason why you worry is because I don't think I can do it on my own. I don't think I'm able to solve this problem. I don't think I'm able to deal with this health issue I've got, this financial issue I've got, this relationship issue that I've got. I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can do it And I'm not convinced God will. And so we we start to believe that there's something about God that that is not true ultimately. And so we worry. What am I going to do? How am I going to do it? How am I going to solve this? How am I going to make my my rent or my mortgage or my car payment? How am I going to do it? The Apostle Paul talks about worry and suggest that if we do find ourselves worrying, because we probably will, I mean, let's be honest, all of us will find ourselves at some point, something's going to come into your life, and you're going to know, I don't know what to do about this, I don't know how to handle this, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do here. And we might find ourselves worrying. Paul says to us here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, another familiar verse, be anxious, which is another word for worry, be anxious for nothing. The Greek word there means nothing, not anything, but in everything, and the Greek word means what? All things, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That means, that means whenever we find ourselves worrying, then we ought to, we ought to just automatically shift into prayer. Prayer, which means talking to God. Supplication means asking God for something. And with thanksgiving, meaning remind yourself, you know, God, you've done some amazing things. You know, God, you have been good to me personally. So I must pray. I must ask God for what I want. And we learned last week that he already knows what you want before you ask. He knows what you need before you ask. I must pray. I must ask. I must be thankful for what I already have. Let your request be made known to God. So in an attitude of prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, tell God. Talk to God. Let him know. Let him know what's going on. But here is what we sometimes miss in this. We must do that in faith. Believing. Believing that when I pray, when I ask God, when I'm thankful to God, when I make my request known to God, he is listening not only listening he's preparing to respond i don't know how i don't know when i don't know what i don't know what that's going to look like but when i when i go to god like this i must believe that he is and that he is able and willing to do something about what i'm praying about and if i can do that then the second half of this verse applies because if you don't believe that god can then the second verse the heart of the verse doesn't apply to you. You have to believe that he hears you. You have to believe that he understands what it is that you need and he has a plan on dealing with it. You have to believe that. If you can believe that, then the second part of that verse which says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When I pray, when I, when I come to him and I, and, I, and I was anxious about something, I was worried about something and I come to God and say, God, you know what I'm anxious about. You know what's going on in my life. I can't fix it. I can't solve it. But you can. And I don't know how you're going to do it but I just believe you're going to do something. Then the peace of God but if you go to God and say, God, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you care about this. I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to help me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I, look, at, look at me, I'm, I'm not worthy. If you're praying like that, he's, you're not going to have any peace because you're not believing God that he is able. That doesn't mean he's going to answer all your prayers the way you want him to, but you have to believe that he can that's where the peace comes from. I believe my God can do anything. And that if he's, if if I, if this thing that's worrying me bothers me, then he knows about it already. And he wants me to trust him to do something about it. And if I can do that, then I can have peace. So if you pray, and after you're done praying, you still don't have peace, you know what you need to do? Start over you need to pray some more because you're not praying in faith you're not praying believing and and it and here here's the reality we may have to there's some things that are so big in our lives so hard so so far beyond us and what we know and understand about both god and the world around us we may have to pray and pray and pray and pray until we finally get to that place of peace because that's when you know you can stop you don't actually ever stop praying until he actually answers but you know you can get to that place you can get to a place of absolute peace a peace that surpasses understanding and if you don't get it the first time you know what you do? you knock on that door again if you don't get it the second time what do you do? you knock on that door again you keep knocking you keep asking you keep seeking until what? until you get what you're asking for and we don't have to worry Worry is a choice. Worry is something we do because we just, we just do it. We don't have to worry because God has promised something to us. In 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God has, if you are one of his children... He has obligated himself. That means he has made it a requirement in his existence to care for you. He's made it it an obligation. He has chosen to care for you, and he cannot go back on that. He will take care of you. Why? Because he's promised to do it. And so when he promises something, he can't can't unpromise it, right? Right? There's three, three realities of worry. Three things that we need to keep in mind. When worry starts to creep in, there's three things we need to just kind of wrestle our heart through. The first one, worry is irreverent. Irreverent. It is a failure to put our trust in God for something. That... that it is, a, it is a failure of reverence for God who is able to do anything and everything. If I'm worrying about something, I'm saying God either can't or won't do something about this. That maybe it's out of his control. It's, nothing is out of God's control. It's irreverent. The second thing, worry is irrelevant. Worry can not change anything. It cannot do anything good or bad. Actually, it probably produces more bad. It produces no good. And worry is irresponsible. Worry accomplishes nothing. But what it does do is it consumes your mind and wastes the energy that you could be spending on good. If you're spending your time worrying about something, that means you're not thinking about good. You're not thinking about doing good. You're not planning to do good. You're not working toward good. Every moment we spend worrying is a waste of time and accomplishes nothing. Jesus gives us a couple of examples here of that. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? Cubit's about 18 inches. Can you make yourself 18 inches taller? Um, That's probably weird for me. But no, you can't. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of field, how they grow, neither toil nor spin. Yet, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus says that, that worrying is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trusting God. If we trust God, then, then the, 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 the Purpose or the or the result of worrying becomes obsolete. It doesn't doesn't have a place in our lives. If we are worrying, it's because there's something in our life that we don't trust God for. Now I've had this conversation, people say, Oh, I, I trust God. Well, of course you do. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Of course you trust God. And you probably trust Him a lot in a lot of areas. But if there's worry in your life, that means in that area, you don't trust God. or Your faith in God, God is weak in that area. That doesn't mean you don't trust God, but in that one area, if you're worrying and the Bible says not to do it, that means in that one area, your faith is weak. You know, we, we, we act like that's accusing somebody of being the devil. You know, like, what are you, what are you saying to me, pastor? You're saying my faith is weak in something? Yes, it is doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. I mean, we all have areas in our life where we're weak in faith. All of us. No one is perfect, right? Am I, am I speaking to imperfect people? Can we just get a show of hands that you know some of you are imperfect, some of you are, won't raise your hand because you think you are perfect? <laughs> Listen, we, we probably trust God in a lot of things, but there are probably areas in our life Where our our trust in God is not as strong as it needs to be. And sometimes, you know what God will do? When there's one of those areas in your life, you know know what he'll do? He'll bring something in. He'll allow something to happen to your life. You know what? Rick needs to trust me in this area. And right now, he doesn't know that he doesn't. He doesn't know that he doesn't trust me enough in this area. So he allows allow something to happen. To make me stronger in my faith. Why? Because... He uses my faith to bring glory to himself. And the stronger my faith is, the more glory he gets. The more the people around me are blessed. The more their faith grows as my faith grows. Listen, it's okay. It's okay if you realize something in your life is not the way that it's supposed to be. You know what you should do? What do I say every time you have realized something's not right in your life? Somebody say, repent right now. Come on, people, repent. It's not a, a, a four-letter word. I think it's six letters. It's not, it's not a curse word to repent. It is the greatest gift that God has given to the church. Repentance. We don't have to be lost in our sin. We don't have to continue struggling and fighting our way through the things of this life. We can just walk in freedom, recognizing that when I blow it, when I make a mistake, I realize something's not right, I can just repent. And the Bible says that he will wash me clean. And then I can, I can, be, I can go forward in absolute freedom because I'm not dragging my sin around with me everywhere that I go. Somebody say hallelujah. That's a glorious thing. Okay, fine. It's a tough crowd this morning. Verse 31. I better get done. we got stuff to do. Therefore, do not worry. Okay, what what did he just say there? Do what? Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I want you to notice something. He's talking about the basic necessities of life. He's saying don't worry about those. If we shouldn't worry about the basic necessities of life, then why are we worrying about all the really ultimately unimportant stuff? If, if, if he's saying don't worry about, about having enough food, then we shouldn't be worrying about you know, all of the other things that we put value to, that we care about when we should just be caring for them and recognizing they belong to God. And if God decides he wants it back, that he has every right to take it. We don't like that. Verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Gentiles, when he sees the term Gentiles there, he's referring to unbelievers. You know what? We, we sometimes have some wrong ideas, wrong attitudes about unbelievers. You know the best attitude to have regarding unbelievers is Pity. Pity. Now we don't, we, most of us, many of us have grown up with the idea that we hate the idea of pity. What pity is, is it's saying that someone's in a situation where they're absolutely helpless to do anything for themselves. They can't change what they are. An unbeliever, in the context of what Jesus is saying here, is that the Gentiles are seeking after all these things. You know they're seeking after all these things and, and they worry about these things because they, they're seeking them and in many cases not getting them. Well, it makes perfect sense to me that they would do that, that they would worry about those things. Why? Because they don't have a heavenly father who has promised to care for them. They are orphans. They, have, they, have, they can only depend upon themselves, trust in themselves. I can still remember my life before I was a believer That was who I was. I trusted in Rick. And you know what? Rick wasn't God. Rick couldn't solve all of Rick's problems. He couldn't answer all of my questions. You know, speaking of myself in the third person, like I'm... When our children were small, they didn't worry about food. They trusted us. They trusted us to feed them. They trusted us to clothe them. They didn't always like what we were feeding them or the clothes we were putting on them, but, but they never worried about any of those things. We as believers ha- can have that attitude, not just about food and clothing, but everything. If, if, if God's gonna take care of feeding us and clothing us and all of that stuff, then there is nothing he won't care for. And we have to trust him completely for all of those things. Unbelievers don't have that. They are orphans on the street and they have no one to trust in but themselves or tragically in others like the government, which we'll get to that this afternoon probably. Because they've rejected God as their heavenly father, who do they trust in? Who can they trust in? When we worry We are acting like orphaned unbelievers. That's not what God calls us to. That's not the life that God calls us to. He calls us something higher than that, something greater than that. And I love the fact, one of of the things I love about things like this, what God is saying is we don't have to do that. We don't have to live that way. We can live a life free of worry. We can live a life that is free Because, you know, worry is is bondage. It's a type of bondage that we put ourselves into and we walk through And God says, you can be free of that. Just trust. Trust God. Care about the things that I want you to care about and then care for everything else as if they are God's things and that he will ultimately take care of them. When we worry, we're not acting like believers. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry. Again, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Hey, focus on today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, almost all worry is in the future, right? We know that. It's almost always about the future, what's going to happen. You know, you know how, what's the test result going to be? What's the, you know, is, is this going to get better? Is this going to get worse? Whatever it is, that's what worry is all about. And, and Jesus says, hey, just focus on today. Just live today and don't worry about that. Instead, instead, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? Well, wherever God reigns as king. We know, as believers, where is that supposed to happen? Right here, in our hearts. He's supposed to reign in our hearts. And so we, we seek God first in our own heart. That, that his kingdom, make sure that he is king of our lives. And that means that when we come to those things of worry, we have to take them to the throne of God and say, God, what, am I supposed to be worried about this thing or not? And, and we already know the answer to that. Probably should be no. And if God is king in our lives then then we then we start expanding out from that you know as a man you know i need to i need to i need to let jesus be king of my life and then i have a responsibility to my wife to help her you know to make sure that jesus is the king of her life and the children and the grandchildren and you know the neighbors and the church and all these things as we as we allow jesus to be king of our lives then that frees us up then to start allowing seeking his kingdom elsewhere around us. But it's got to begin in here, because if it's not in here, then don't bo- you don't, shouldn't bother going out anywhere else, because if he isn't in you, you're not going to be able to carry him anywhere. And if he is king, he's obligated himself to do certain things. What things? Everything his word tells us. We can believe that. We can trust him. God, you have promised to do these things, and we can trust that. So not only should we seek to replace worrying with God's kingdom, but we must also seek God's righteousness. God's righteousness is that which aligns with his word, his will, and his way. So whatever is right. It's, it's thinking, feeling, and doing what is right. We often focus on the doing part, but it also has to do with the thinking and feeling. You know, there are right feelings. Did you know that? There are right feelings and wrong feelings, Wait a minute, what's that, what do you mean? Feelings aren't natural? Feelings are natural. Yep, that's the problem. Natural is not always good. Now there are some feelings, we get it, I understand it, but we got to be very, very suspicious of our feelings because they will lie to us. The Bible tells very clearly that the, our heart will lie to us. We have to seek to feel, to think, and to do what is right in God's eyes. That means we ought to know what is right, and we seek to do what is right. Just first in our own lives, start again, start with ourselves, and then we allow that to, to spread out to those around us as much as possible. And when we catch ourselves worrying, and it's going to happen, when it happens, we must ask ourselves a question, is it right for me to worry? Is it right for me to worry? Don't, don't, don't add the subject. Ask the simple question, is it right for me to worry? And what's the answer? Well, we heard it three times in the text today, do not worry. Now, and I want you to notice there were no conditions. Do not worry unless, except. Do not worry. I, I've got to. I've got to begin with that. Answer that question. Do not worry. Now, now again, we're all human, and so we're going to find ourselves in that place. We have to. We have to acknowledge it is not right for me to worry. It is not right. I am worrying. But it's not right for me to worry. We have to, we, we've, we as a culture, sometimes justify some of these wrong behaviors and we allow those wrong behaviors to, to really permeate our entire lifestyle and then it reaches out and touches everybody around us. And we've got to start with the reality certain things that are, that are natural and common and, and accepted all around us are not right. And if they're not right, then I need to at least acknowledge it in my heart that it's not right. And once I do that, then I can start to reach out and say, okay, what am I worrying about? And, and I need to ask myself the question, if I was not worrying about this, because worry takes the place of, of doing what is right, if I was not worrying about this, how would I feel about this? What would I think about this? And what would I do about this? Because if I wasn't worrying about it, I probably would do something different. I would probably think something different. I would probably feel something different. What should I feel? What should I think? What should I do if I was trusting God in this thing? Because that's a choice. I'm either worrying or trusting God. Well, well I do trust God, mm, but you're worrying. Th- the two don't go together. So if I wasn't worrying, how would I, what would I do to prove that I was trusting God? And we can fill in the blanks of all the different things. You know, you know, you know if I you know, can't make my car payment, you know, wh- wh- what would I do? I, I, I worry, I, I, you know, okay, okay, if you can't make your car payment, you can't make your car payment, what should you do? Okay, I'm not gonna worry about it. I might make a phone call, call the loan company, say, hey, I can't make my car payment. What can I do? Maybe they'll give you a solution maybe you can be changing something you're doing in your life. You think about those things, what can I do that proves that I trust God here? But worrying is not it. You'll never trust, you'll never prove you trust God by worrying. You'll never do anything good by worrying. It produces no good whatsoever, and in fact, it proves that you don't trust God. If Jesus tells us not to worry, what does that say to us? Is it possible not to worry? if Jesus says not to do it, it has to be possible not to do it. Jesus would not tell us to do something that we were incapable of doing. Tell us to do something we're not capable of doing, whatever. You know what I mean. He says also here, these things shall be added to you. What what is your question when you hear that? What things, right? What things does that mean? Now, we could, we could say it means, you know, food and clothing and, and, and that sort of a thing. But if we're truly seeking God's kingdom, we're seeking his righteousness, that question becomes irrelevant. It doesn't matter what these things are. If I'm seeking God's kingdom, I'm seeking his righteousness, then one of the things that I'm saying to God is, God, I trust you for absolutely everything. I trust you for these things. What do we know about God? God is good, God is holy, God is righteous, God is pure, God is love, God is gracious, God is merciful, right? Do we know those things about God? If he adds something to our lives, what can we say about those things? That they are good. And they line up with his character. So I don't care what those things are. Because I know when he adds something good to my life, when he adds something to my life, if it's coming from him, I'm going to like it. Well, I, I can't say I'm going to like it. There's some things he's added to my life. I say, I'm not sure I actually like that. But I accept it because it's right, it's true, it's good. Because God is. What is your part? You know, when we, when we come to this, this idea of worrying, you know, that seeking you know, the, the treasures of this world, our, our part is to seek God, to seek God and his righteousness. If we can do that, it answers all of the questions of life, all of the stuff we struggle with, all the stuff we wrestle with. It doesn't make the hard things go away, but it might make them a little more, a little more tolerable. You know, it's, you know, the hard things are hard. That's the reality of the life that we're living. But if I can trust God, if I can seek him, and I can learn how to trust him, then, then, then I can go through these things in a way that brings glory to him and blesses others. And that's my goal. My goal is to glorify God, bless others, and grow faith. Well, what about, what about me? What about what I get out of it? You get God out of it. And when, God, when you get God out of it, you get everything you need because he will not deny his people the good things that they need, that he desires to give them. Trusting God includes not concerning ourselves about how he's gonna do any of those things. We just trust him. God, I don't know how you're gonna answer this, but I know you're going to do it. I don't, I don't know how you're going to solve this problem, but I know you're going to do something, and when you do it, it's going to be amazing. Two principles today. Store up treasures in heaven and do not worry. Now, these principles in the previous 10, they're all about keeping our eyes on God. They're all about making him the main thing, taking yourself off of the throne, putting God there, putting Christ there, and letting him be all in all. And then trusting him for every part of our life. Now, Now, none of these are things we can master overnight. We'll spend our entire lives mastering these things, and God will bring one or two of them to the forefront as we're going through it. Maybe worry is a, is a big one for you right now. Maybe worry is a reality. Maybe it's, that's what's going on, and God would say, let's, let's work on that. Let's work on you trusting me more in whatever the situation is, and God will do that. And I just used up all of our time. Look at that. All right, we're going to pray, and then we're going to do communion, and I apologize in advance for going over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your love. But Lord, these are important things. Lord, so many people have allowed worry or fear or anxiety to, to have a place in their lives that it doesn't, that it doesn't deserve. Now, now I know there's some things that, that come into our lives that are just harder to deal with and there's other, other realities that relate to anxiety and different things like that. But there are some that you've given us the power to control. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you've given us the power to do things that are, are not natural. And so I pray for each of us. Lord, if we're struggling with any of those, with fear or worry or, or maybe having an, an, un, an unnatural affection for the things of this world, that we're storing up treasures in this world rather than storing up treasures in heaven, Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd minister to our hearts that, Lord, your desire is not to take anything away from us but to add to us the things that are good. And so I pray for... the the people, Lord, of this church. I pray for your anointing upon them. I pray for your blessing over them. And I pray, Lord, as we get into this time of communion, we would do so with hearts wide open for what you would say to us. We praise you and love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and his kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com slash connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com. Or text the word PRAY to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give. Or text the word GIVE to 951 419 until next time go be radical with Jesus